Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, PA. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This talk continues week 11 of our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Today I have the privilege of introducing to you a young king. His name is David, and David is an extraordinary leader. Here's our upper story statement for today. This is the big idea of what God is doing, and that is God consistently looks at our heart, and God wants his people to resist judging on externals. So two statements. God consistently looks in on our heart and God wants his people to resist the urge of judging on externals, which can be really easy to do. So let's think about these two statements for a moment. God consistently looks at our heart. And if that is true, which I believe it is, then it naturally brings up the question, when God looks in on my heart, when God looks in on the core of who I am, and that's what it means when God says he's looking at our hearts, he's looking at the core of who we are. So when God does that, what does he see? When God looks in at my heart, what does he see? It's kind of a frightening question, isn't it? But I think it's a question we have to ask and we have to answer. When God looks in on me and my heart, what does he see? And then the second part of this is God wants his people to resist judging on externals, which I believe is possible when we have a heart that is leaning toward God. Because when our heart is leaning toward him, there is more compassion and care and empathy because we see people for how God sees them as someone that he created and that he loves. But when we have a heart that is leaning away from God, we're going to have a very difficult time seeing people the way that God sees them. And so this brings up the question, how do I know? I mean, how can I really know if my heart is leaning toward God? If God is consistently looking at my heart, at the core of who I am, and if my heart is leaning toward God, if that gives me the ability to resist judging on externals, how do I know if my heart is leaning toward God? Well, this comes out in our story today. And so let's jump into the lower story. Here's what's happening on earth. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find 1 Samuel chapter 16, And chapter 17. We're going to hang out in these two paragraphs today. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. While you're finding that, let me just review a bit because here's what we saw and experienced last week. Saul becomes the very first king of ancient Israel. And what we learned last week is that Saul was tall and handsome And when he walked in the room, everybody said, he's a king. I mean, he looks like a king. He talks like a king. He walks like a king. We want a king. It's got to be him. And so they anointed him as their very first king. 
But as we continued in the story, one of the things we discovered is that Saul, this very first king of ancient Israel, he had a few issues. He had some problems. Like, he had a heart that was leaning away from God. I mean, when you walk through the different scenarios in 1 Samuel, you'll discover that his heart was really leaning away from God. It wasn't even close. And the other thing that Scripture tells us is that he kind of obeyed God. You know, he went most of the way in his obedience, but he didn't go all of the way. And this is what led to him having a heart that was leaning away from God. So here's the very first king. He looks like a king. He acts like a king. People like him at the start, but Saul had a few issues. A heart leaning away from God, and he just kind of obeyed. And that's what he did. So here's what happens. As a result of a heart that was leaning away from God and his kind of, sort of obedience, God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the throne away from you and from your family, which that's what would have happened. His son or one of his sons would have been the next king. That's just kind of how it worked. But because Saul had a few issues, God came in and said, I'm going to take the throne away from you and from your family. You will not have it anymore. And instead, I'm going to find a king who has a heart that is leaning toward me. And he will become king and his family will reign, not yours. That's the price to be paid for having a heart that leans away from me and for kind of obeying me. You will no longer be the king. But here's the deal. It kind of goes down in a very bizarre, long way. It doesn't happen immediately. And what makes it even more unique is who God chooses to be the next king. He chooses someone that is unique, and no one saw this coming. Like People are really, like, that's going to be the next king. It surprised everybody. And isn't this what we love about God? He uses people that we wouldn't necessarily choose to fulfill his purposes. And we see this happening time and time again. And this is really good news for all of us. We don't have to have it together. We don't have to be the perfect looking person on the outside because God wants his people to resist judging on externals. And this comes out in our story today. And so here's what happens next in the story. There is this royal coronation where Samuel who was a transitional leader, he was a prophet, and he was transitioning God's people from the times of the judges to the times of the kings. And he's the one who anoints Saul, the very first king. Well, Samuel is called on again by God to anoint the next king. And so Samuel gets his oil together and all of the stuff that you need for a coronation of a new king. Back in the day, he puts his little bag together and he travels to the home of a man named Jesse. Jesse lives in a small, little, insignificant town called Bethlehem. Does Bethlehem ring a bell to anybody? Yeah, this small, little, insignificant town plays a significant role in the story, and we'll continue to see this develop. But that's where Jesse lives. And God has revealed to Samuel that there is a boy in his home, one of his sons, he's going to be the next king. And so get your oil and all of your stuff together. Let's go find the next king. And this is where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. 
Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Verse 4. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong? It's like the principal has come to town, right? Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest son, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He is the firstborn, and boy, he looks like a king. I mean, we've got our guy. Here he is. This is the one. But, verse 7 tells us, the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them, Samuel. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this is where the upper story comes into play. God consistently looks at our heart, and he wants us to avoid judging on externals. And God is pushing on this with Samuel. Verse 8. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. And here's what happens next. The rest of the boys. Seven sons are paraded in front of Samuel. And Samuel's trying to hear from God, is this one the next king? And it is no for every single son. And so Samuel finally says... Hey, is there another son somewhere? Because God said one of your boys is going to be the next king, but it doesn't seem to be any of these. And so it says in verse 11, Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? Are you sure? Like, I think there might be one hiding somewhere. To which they said, well, there is still the youngest. There is an eighth son. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. This is interesting to me because there is no urgency at all as Samuel begins the process of reviewing the sons to bring in the eighth son. And I think that's because everyone there knew the baby of the family, the eighth son, he's got no shot at being the king. And Jesse in his mind is saying, I've got seven sons. If it's not the first one, it's going to be the second or third. There is no reason at all to bring in the youngest son. That's what it says about him in verse 11. Do you see that word youngest there? It comes from a word that means small, insignificant, or least, or little. So as Samuel asks the question, are you sure there's not a son, another one out there somewhere. Jesse, the father, replies, well, yeah, we have the smallest, the most insignificant one, but certainly he can't be king. Well, they had to be shocked when Samuel says, send for him at once. 
but we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And guess what? We've got ourselves a new king. I mean, this is good news, isn't it? Long live the king. We've got a new king. But David, the youngest son, begins to do some things that are a little bit different after he is anointed the next king. So let me ask you, if you were anointed a king, or if you were given a title or a promotion that made you powerful and important, how do you think you would respond? How do you think you'd respond? You're the king. You're really important. You're a big deal now. How do you think you would respond? See, these are real humans here. We have to throw ourselves into the story. This stuff really happened. So how do you think you would respond if all of the other brothers get passed on and you become the king as the youngest brother? I know what I'm doing. I'm doing a little new king dance, right? Because I'm the one. And it wasn't you, number one brother, or number two brother, or number three brother. You didn't get the job. Number four brother, we all know you never had a shot at this. It's me. I'm the king. And let's throw a party and have a great celebration because of all the brothers, me, the eighth son, the youngest, the baby, I am the king. And we're going to have a great celebration. Come on. We would do this, wouldn't we? Of course we would. But that's not exactly what happens here. Instead, here's what we find. A young man, a young boy, really, with a heart that is just leaning toward God. And it's fixed on God. It's pointed in God's direction. And instead of doing those kinds of things... David acts in an entirely different way. And I want to think about the different things that David demonstrated in his life because if we use his example, I believe it will give us a heart that leans toward God. So let's walk through this. Here are three thinking points about David. Number one, David ran toward his current responsibilities. After he's anointed king, right? Like this is his day. This is his time. He should go in, remove Saul, and assume the throne. But David knew, probably through the guidance and the instruction of Samuel, that Saul was to be respected. He was still the king, and God would take care of that part. And David, at the right time, would become the king who reigned. And so what we discover right away is that in the middle of this, David just ran toward his current responsibilities. Well, what was that? It's being a shepherd taking care of dirty sheep, lazy sheep. Doesn't sound that important. Doesn't sound like something a king should be doing, but that's exactly what David ran toward. That was his family job. And he knew he needed to uh, fulfill 
the responsibilities that were in front of him. So often, I believe, the next thing that God wants us to do is right in front of us, and our next responsibility, we often just overthink it. So let me ask you this. What are the responsibilities that are in front of you today? What is it that you need to accomplish? What do you need to fulfill? What do you need to do? I want to encourage you to do those things because that is really spiritual stuff. So as you think about your responsibilities that are just right in front of you, maybe the very thing God wants you to do today is to go home and be a great dad or a great mom or a great husband or a great wife. Or maybe the very thing that God wants you to do, the responsibility in front of you is to forgive someone who has been seeking that and really needs that from you. Or maybe the responsibility in front of you is to be a brighter light at work or in your home or in your school. What are the responsibilities that are right in front of you? Go and do that. Often we wait for God to drop something really important in our lap And that's the faith-filled thing that I will go and do. And it will seem spiritual. And people will applaud. No. The faith-filled spiritual thing that God wants you to do is to walk out of here and fulfill the responsibilities that are right in front of you. And that is godly. And that's what he wants for you. And this is what we discover from an ancient king. He didn't immediately jump in. He didn't immediately get what God wanted for him. He runs toward his current responsibilities. Again, doesn't seem important. Doesn't seem very sophisticated. It actually sounds kind of boring. But yet that's what David does. And when we think about having a heart that leans toward God, let's think about what's directly in front of us. That is the spiritual step God wants us to take. And then maybe there will be another step in the future, another step in another year that God wants us to fulfill. But right now, let's run toward our current responsibilities. That takes us to thought number two, and that is David ran towards scary things. We could say it this way. David ran toward conflict. And not because he enjoyed that or because he was controversial. He ran toward conflict because he had a heart to resolve things God's way. And he knew that in fixing things God's way, God's name becomes great and powerful and everybody recognizes him. God kind of gets the credit for that. And so here's what this looks like in David's life. As you continue in the story, you read that things were relatively quiet for David. He's just fulfilling his responsibilities. He is a shepherd. He's out in the fields until one day his father Jesse calls him from the fields and says, David, look, your brothers are fighting a war right now, and I want you to take some supplies to them, make sure that they're okay, and then bring back a report. I want to know how everything is going. David said, okay, I'll do that. And so he put all the supplies together, and he traveled to his brothers who were on the front line of a battle against the Philistines. The Philistines were the enemies of God's people, and they often had these skirmishes. And so David is there with the supplies, he sees his brothers, and then he discovers that the Philistines have what you would call a ringer. And they have a secret weapon when it comes to fighting and battle. His name is Goliath. 
And Goliath is just a massive human being. When you read in chapter 17, you discover that he was actually over nine feet tall. He's just a freak of nature. He is an amazing warrior. And what we find is that he begins to mock God and mock the people of God in such a way that they are scared to death and nobody can approach him. So here's what we discover in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8. David is there. He's observing all of this. It says, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. And with that, he's mocking God and he's mocking God's people. Send me a man who will fight me. Well, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Many of you know how the story goes. David's on the front lines. He's giving supplies to his brothers. He's getting a report. And he hears this obnoxious giant shouting insults at God and God's people. And David gets a little fired up on the inside. Like, who's this guy? And what right does he have to say those kinds of things? To which his brother said, David, it is time for you to be quiet. He's a giant. He's an enormous person. And we're going to be in a lot of trouble if you speak your mind. But David continued to ask some questions like, who is this? And is no one else offended or bothered that he is doing these kinds of things? Finally, David said, you know what? I'll fight the giant. I'll take him on. See, David had this confidence in God. He had the ability to see things that others could not see. And I think he was able to do that because he had a heart that was leaning toward God. And so David said, I'll fight. And this is an opportunity for God's name to be made great. And everyone will know how powerful he is because this doesn't make sense any other way. So we find David running towards scary things. The rest is history. Verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. He ran toward him. He ran toward fear. Reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with the sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. And what happens next in the story is that David becomes a national hero. Like, go Davy, Man, you saved us. That was an amazing thing that you did. And he receives all kinds of awards. As a matter of fact, Saul actually invites David to come and live in the palace with him. And David does that and his life forever changes. He actually marries one of Saul's daughters and he becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And life is good in the palace for David. But remember Saul... He's still around. He's still the king. And Saul has this heart that is leaning away from God and he kind of obeys God. 
And so what happens next in the story is he becomes filled with jealousy and hatred towards David because he knew that everybody liked David more than him. And Saul couldn't handle it. And he begins to threaten David. And what we discover next is that David has to run for his life. Life is good. He's crowned king. He's just fulfilling the responsibilities in front of him. He runs toward conflict with a heart to resolve it God's way. He gets recognition. He's invited to live in the palace. He's got a wife and a best friend. Life is good except for Saul. And so now David's on the run again. And that brings us to the third thinking point. And that is, as David was avoiding Saul, he ran toward God. That's just what he did. He ran toward God. The next several years of David's life, they're just filled with running and hiding in caves in order to survive and not be slaughtered by Saul and his army. And that takes us through the rest of 1 Samuel. That's what we discover. David, the future king, is just on the run. I remember reading through this and in my own mind thinking that seems kind of unfair, doesn't it? I mean, David's a good guy. He's doing what God wants him to do. He's resolving conflict. He's rescuing God's people. He's crowned king. But now we find him running, and he's in the land between being a shepherd and being a king. And you would think the land between should be really good too, but what we discover here is that it's not. He's running for his life. And where's God? Doesn't God see this? Doesn't God care? And why doesn't God just give him the keys to the kingdom? Why doesn't he just take out Saul and let David have his rightful place as king? Well, it wasn't time. And in the land between being a shepherd and being a king, here's what we find David doing. He's just running toward God. Even when it seemed really rough and even when it was really ugly. David, he just keeps running toward God. I'm sure he had some questions. I'm sure he had some doubts. I'm sure he raised his fist a few times and wondered what God was up to and why can't I just be king now and why am I living in a cave? Why am I hiding from this madman? I'm sure all of that stuff happened for David, but yet in the land between shepherd and king, he's just consistently running toward God. So what about my story? How do we take these thinking points from the life of David and how do we use this in our lives today? Well, I just have one thought and here it is. Be present where you are and run toward God. Be present where you are. And as you do that, run toward God. You know what I think our problem is a lot? We're never really happy where we are. And so we've got to be present, and here's what that means. It means that God has placed you uniquely where you are, and that's where he wants you to be right now. That's what he wants for you. Now, you may hate that or you may love that, but the reality is you are where you are, and I believe that's where God wants you to be right now. That may change tomorrow or in 2016, or beyond, but you are where you are today, and this is where God wants you. So be present where you are. It's what we discover and learn from David. 
Right? He was crowned king, but it wasn't time yet. And so he fulfilled his current responsibilities. So be present where you are. Be present in your home, in your workplace, in that school, in that marriage, in that job, in that income bracket. Be present where you are. And while you're there, run toward God. Put God right out in front and wait for his timing and don't let fear be your compass. So your heart, your heart. I want you to think about that for a moment. Leaning toward God Is it fixed on him? Is it moving in that direction? Or is it leaning away from God? Just evaluate your heart right now. Is it leaning toward God or is it leaning away from God? I think what we discover from the story in 1 Samuel, especially chapters 16 and 17, is that God wants us to have a heart that's leaning toward him. And this is completely possible when we run toward our current responsibilities. So what's that next right thing in front of you? Go and do that. That's a very spiritual thing to do. Do that first, and then God will continue to give you more. Secondly, run toward scary things. Run toward conflict. Don't avoid that. Run toward conflict, not to be controversial, but run toward conflict with a heart to resolve this so that God gets credit And then just keep running toward God in the land between whatever that might look like for you. I believe when we do this, as God looks in and evaluates the core of who we are, he will find an individual with a heart leaning toward him who's not judging on externals, but is trusting in what God can do through that individual. And that's good news for all of us. Father, we're so thankful for First Samuel and what we learn from this transitional prophet. Well, he's just a unique leader. And we've talked about Saul and we've talked about David, these different characters here, these first two kings of Israel. And what we're going to discover as we continue in the story is that you really do raise up David, and he's certainly not a perfect individual. He has some faults. And he has some pretty massive failures in his life. But yet what you say about him is that he has a heart for you. And God, that should be an encouraging thing for all of us. Because no matter what we face, no matter how many times we fall and fail, we can have this heart that leans toward you. God, I want that. I want that for everyone in this room. And I want that for Valley Point Church. That as a faith community, we would have a heart that runs to you. So God, as we approach this holiday week and as we celebrate and gather with friends and family and have a great time, would you help us to look in on our heart because that's what you're doing. And God, if we're not able to find a heart that is leaning toward you, help us to run toward our current responsibilities, whatever they are. Help us to run toward conflict with a heart to resolve that and bring glory to you. And in the process, help us to consistently run to you, even as we hang out in the land between. God, help us to do that this week, knowing that you are looking in and evaluating our hearts. You're doing that. So help us to honor you this way 
throughout this week. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.